Dressed, the History of Fashion is a production of Dressed Media. people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the history of fashion, a podcast that explores the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan and Cassidy Zachary. Dress listeners, I hope you are having a lovely week. Here we are with another fashion history now. How are you today, April? I am doing very well. Thank you very much. It is a gorgeous day here in New York City. I know. I was going to say, it's finally feeling like fall. And despite the wind, it's been really lovely. It's currently balloon fiesta here, which is such a magical time of year in New Mexico. I know I sent you photos, but there's balloon. Mm -hmm. I like wake up every day and there's hundreds of balloons, hot air balloons in our sky. So always a good marker of the shift in temperature and fall is my favorite time of year. So yeah, and I think um, I think it's going to be a little bit cold and rainy tomorrow, so I think it's officially sweater weather here in New York Ooh. City, too. So <laughs> yes, here we are, friends. <laughs> well, I wanted to kick today's fashion history now off with a listener comment and review on iTunes. I know we always ask you kind of at the end of our episodes, but anytime you rate and review the show, be it on Spotify or iTunes, it helps us. It helps um, boost our show and ratings, etc. And we love hearing from you too. And we had the most wonderful comment recently. I don't know if you saw it, April, but the handle was lowmo47 and it's titled Fashion Footnotes. Did you see this? No, I did not. Sometimes they slip by me. Yeah. So they wrote... This podcast has made it so I can think more about fashion in all different ways. It is like adding information footnotes to what you wear. Oh, that's so great. Isn't that a wonderful (laughs) way of thinking about the clothing? So it's like your sweater. Here's a footnote on your sweater or whatever you're wearing for the day. I just thought that was such an inventive and fun way of thinking about the show. Yeah, and I I like that little phrase too, fashion footnotes. Yes. So I think we will use that. Yeah, I was going to say, don't be surprised. If that pops back up again, I love it because we had been joking so long about fashion history mystery, and then we actually turned it yeah. into a segment of the show. Yeah, exactly. So fashion footnotes, exactly. So that's such a great saying. And then I also just wanted to kick off today just by saying that how much I really enjoyed your and Claire Press's two-part episode on her new book, which was, of course, about kind of the state of sustainability. And we've gotten so much positive feedback about that episode as well. But something, April, I just found so fascinating that I just want to reiterate, and we haven't talked about it, was just this idea of low emission wool with that sea forest company. And the Sea Forest team, just as a reminder, listeners, is dedicated to fighting climate change by being the first in the world to cultivate asparagopsis at a commercial scale. And essentially, if you feed it in quantities to livestock, it reduced methane emissions by 90%. Yes, yes. And that was one of the stories that that I was so intrigued by. And it had so many different parts to that story, including them (laughs) sailing and biking the wool across Australia. (laughs) That was definitely one of the ones that I I wanted to focus on. But I find what they're doing so interesting. So maybe we should invite them to come on the show to tell us a little bit more about exactly what they're doing. What do you think about that? 
Yeah, I think that'd be really cool because, again, it's just one of those like action items that like people are making real change Mm -hmm. and there are tools out there that are being provided to people. They just need to incorporate them at a commercial massive scale. Right. So it's like it's exciting to, you know, it's daunting when you learn about when you consider all of the waste and trash, et cetera, that comes with fashion. But it's also very exciting to see people that are actively working to challenge climate change and and all of these issues um, within the fashion and textile sphere. Yes. So I just wanted to to talk to you about that because we hadn't chatted yet. Well, thank you so much for saying that. And um, I found out after I did the interview that I had COVID the entire time I was doing that episode. <laughs> so I was so I knew I was sick, and but I was so excited to talk to Claire. I just powered through it anyway. So you can actually kind of hear in my voice um, in the in those two episodes. Yeah, COVID is making the rounds, <laughs> as I'm sure our listeners are aware. So stay vigilant out there. Yes, 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 yes. And, yes. Uh, protect yourselves. Well, thank you for the kind words, Cass. Uh, it was a very fun um, and exciting interview to do, and I adore Claire. So um, we will have her back on, I'm sure, at some point in the future. I would like to share with our listeners a couple of things. I'm going to call these two things things I did not know that I learned in the recent weeks. <laughs> so, Cass, you have in the past done an episode, if not maybe a two-part episode, on like the history of doing laundry. Have you have you heard of this thing called a laundry pillow? I have not. And actually, we have not done episodes on laundry, but we've talked about doing laundry in the context of various episodes. So if that's something our listeners are interested in, I think the everyday aspects of getting dressed and how we get dressed are fascinating. So please share with me what a laundry pillow is, because I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I had never seen this thing. It came up in my Instagram feed maybe a couple of weeks ago on the Instagram feed Historic Embroidery. That's at Historic Embroidery. And it's a laundry pillow from 1824 that is in the collection of Colonial Williamsburg. So essentially, um, it's a rectangular pillow, and it's hand embroidered and the long side of the pillow faces up faces like to to the sun and across it in horizontal embroideries there are 16 different categories embroidered of laundry items so the word is embroidered hand embroidered and then following the word the numbers 1 through 12 so words on this laundry pillow include terms like slips shirts drawers, collars, napkins, and then there's a few terms which I'm not exactly sure what the particular distinctions for them were at that time in 1824, but they also have categories for cloths, covers, blankets, and counterpanes. And I was also not familiar with this term, counterpanes. Um, I had to look it up. It came up fairly easily. It's a bedspread. So I'm just saying, like, you know, what is the difference between a cloth, a cover, a blanket, and a bedspread. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But <laughs> so how this all works is you have, you have your category, and then the numbers 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And then apparently what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to put a pin in the number when you're sending out your laundry for somebody else to do it to let them know there's this many collars in this laundry wow. order. There's this many napkins in this laundry order. And in the photo on Instagram, I could tell that at the very, very bottom, there was something else embroidered. And I think it was probably their name or their address. So I was like, oh my 
gosh, this is so freaking clever. That is Love so it. amazing. And yeah, that's so something I've definitely never seen before. <laughs> nope, never even heard of this before. So, and, and we mux about in this realm quite a bit. So, maybe we maybe we need to mux more in this realm and actually do a, a history of laundry episode. Yes, absolutely. I would love that because I again I find it so fascinating. Kind of like those every everyday activities, right? Of just like common working people, as I would have been historically, as I am today. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yep, super, yep, super yep, interesting. Yep, yep. What else do you uh, have for us? Because I have to say mm-hmm. I'm holding all of mine to the end, dress listeners, because as I started, April and I always, we don't talk about these things. We bring each other new things to talk about every week, every time we do this. And I just kind of spiraled off of one topic. So April <laughs> is putting hers all fr- up front and then we'll get to mine. <laughs> All Cass told me is that they're, that they're interrelated and it wouldn't make any sense to separate it all out. So, <laughs> um, okay, speaking of Instagram and social media, I do want to talk about another thing that's popped up now in my feed a few different times. And I was so intrigued by this that I did a little bit of additional research on it as well. Have you seen on Instagram, Cass, these images of the face kini craze in China? Yes. I have, but I have not <laughs> okay. dug into it. So please tell me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, listeners, if, if some of you out there have not seen these images, essentially a face kini, it's a full head and face covering. Pull it over your head like a balaclava or uh, like, a, like a scuba suit. It covers the face, has holes for the eyes, nose, and mouth. Usually it's spandex, so it fits nice and tight. Um, and sometimes they have these really wild decorations on them or motifs um in china apparently chinese opera makeup motifs you know those really exaggerated forms of makeup are are very popular for these face kinis and they're meant to protect your face from the sun and we started seeing fashion magazines touching on this trend all the way back in 2017, Vogue reported on it at that time because um, they were seeing them a lot um, in the Qingdao region on the Qingdao beaches, which is a very popular beach destination. And of course, their their purpose is to protect the skin from tanning, freckles, and also aging. And of course, a fair complexion is prized in China, so tanning is to be avoided. But there's even more articles that have come out recently about this in 2023 because of the temperature spike in China. And China apparently this summer went through this massive heat wave and temperatures were like at 95 degrees at some of these beach destinations, which is way higher than normal. In other regions of China, they had one recorded temperature of 125 degrees. Oh my goodness. Um, which is absolutely wild. So no, thank you. Yeah, not only has this face kini craze caught on at beach destinations, but also we're seeing a lot of hats being sold with built-in fans. In addition to the face kinis, uh, vendors at these beach destinations are also selling arm sleeves. So you'll have your swimsuit on, you'll cover your arms with the arm sleeves, and you'll put on your face kini to uh, cover your face. So I just thought this was interesting in the context of global warming and and how global warming is going to kind of 
reshape fashion in certain ways. Alibaba came out with an interesting report that in recent years, there's been a 200 to 300% growth year upon year in their sales of sun protection garments. Um, And it's estimated that by 2026, the market for sun protection garments or fashions will reach nearly $18 billion annually. So this is a growing segment of the fashion industry that maybe we should all just kind of start to think about a little bit more and um, pay attention to. And um, there's probably some fashion researcher out there who's probably already dabbled, dabbled in this in this realm of research in the context of climate change and its effects on the fashions that we are wear or are going to wear. But I just kind of wanted to throw that out there as a, as a point of consideration and maybe a point of departure for a future dressed episode as well. Yeah, and it's really interesting too because like UV garments swimwear is something that is more popular say within children's wear and i know this because of leo my toddler right and he has like a long sleeve zip front shirt uh, that is meant for swimming that is uv protectant and protects his skin and it just goes you know the question is then why don't we all protect our skin right we put sunscreen on instead in theory and then it also reminds me april about an episode that you wrote a fashion history mystery on the beef brief history of sunscreen. So if our Mm -hmm. listeners are interested in kind of that sort of history, you can check that out. But yeah, it's going to be super interesting in terms of especially a topic you love, which is technology and how these different um, technologies are going to be incorporated to protect our bodies from the sun and also keep them cool or hot, depending on what climate you are encountering. (laughs) Exactly. Here we go, friends. New tangent into the realms of fashion history, fashion future history. It's always connected. We can always find a tangent or a fashion footnote, have you? Well, the last thing that I would like to mention is actually a little bit more of a somber moment in fashion history. And this is something that happened this week in New York City, but this is also related to something, a very major event that happened on March 25th, 1911, which was the uh, date of the Triangle Factory Fire. In that Triangle uh, Shirtwaist Factory Fire, here in New York City, uh, 146 people passed away in the span of 15 minutes. It was one of the greatest industrial tragedies America had ever seen at that time. Most of the persons uh, that were killed were women and teenage girls. This tragedy essentially was created by uh, labor violations or labor rights violations. These women were blocked from the exits that were supposedly supposed to protect them from an event just like this. And New York City and you know, America was outraged when this happened in 1911. And what happened moving forward was um, it really spurred a lot of labor reform in the United States. And so this factory was making blouses, which were called shirtwaists, right? So this was a clothing factory where this where this fire occurred. Well, we're not going to focus on the sad part of that story here today. Um, but what we are going to talk about was just this week on Wednesday, there was a Triangle Fire Memorial installed at the site of the Triangle Factory Fire. The building um, that was the factory still exists. It is located at Green Street and Washington Place in Greenwich Village. And so this memorial that has been installed on the building is actually nine stories high and goes up the side 
of the building. And it's one of the very few memorials in the U.S. that is actually dedicated to workers. And one of the other things that I... Yeah, uh, one of the other interesting things that I thought about it that makes this so, so unique is that the language in the memorial, because it's a metal ribbon, and, and we'll get more into like the details of what the memorial looks like here in a second, but the the text and um, in the memorial that they use is in English, Italian, and Yiddish, which were the three most common languages spoken um, by the people who perished in the fire, the factory workers. Yeah, so many immigrants so. central to American fashion at this time, mm-hmm. right? And just for those of you um, who maybe haven't seen this or caught the news about it, the winning proposal for this memorial, um, it was designed by Yuri Wegman and Richard Jun Yu. And basically, their proposal was selected by the the project jury from 180 different submissions. Um, This all started all the way back in 2015 when the state of New York granted $1.5 million for the construction of the memorial. And I just want to read a little snippet from the memorial's website that describes um, the, the premise of it and what it looks like. Quote, Evoking the appearance of mourning ribbons, which were draped on buildings at times of public grief, the main body of the memorial is a textured stainless steel ribbon, which descends from the corner of the ninth floor of the brown building, the side of the fire. At the top of the ground floor, the ribbon splits to flank the building's facades. The names of the 146 victims are cut into the ribbon, 12 feet above the sidewalk, and reflected by a darkened reflective panel on the street level. As visitors traverse the length of a memorial, the names of the victims overhead will appear in the reflective panel written in the sky. So I just I just think this is such a lovely tribute. I have yet to see it again. It was just dedicated this past Wednesday. But I, I, at some point next time I'm in that area of the city, you better bet I'm going to go check it out. Yeah, and actually it reminded me there's a really fantastic website dedicated to the factory fire from Cornell University. And I used it when I was teaching fashion history this past year. It's a great resource for students, but anyone who's really interested, it's an incredibly thorough website. And it actually identifies each and every one of the victims. It tells you where they were from, like their age, like all of these things. And it's just an incredible resource, especially for students and learning about this moment in history. So we'll link to that in our show notes. Mm-hmm. And also, too, New York City also does this thing where on the on every year on the anniversary of the fire, there's a map with the victims' names published, and there's a map with the addresses of where that victim lived at the time. And you can you can select one of one of those addresses and leave flowers or do a little sidewalk chart artwork um, or something to kind of um, you know re- remember that occasion every anniversary of the fire. So. It just happens to be that one of the victims lives on my block directly across the street from me. So um, this is something that I found out maybe like a year and a half ago or so. So next March, we will be doing a little memorial for her. Oh, wow. That's very, very cool. Well, thank you for sharing that, April. And Mm -hmm. more Fashion History Now news coming your way, dress listeners, after a brief word from our sponsors. Dress listeners, we often refer to ourselves on the show as dress detectives, but what if we told you that you could travel back in time and solve your own fashionable mysteries? 
because you can by joining us in playing June's Journey. And April, I can't tell you how much fun I've had playing June's Journey. It's this <laughs> hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour and intrigue of the 1920s with this diverse cast of characters. And basically, each new scene takes you further into the story of a thrilling murder mystery that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. You will sleuth with June in the antique parlors of New York, the chic sidewalks of Paris, and you can even build your own luxury island estate where you get to decorate and plant decadent gardens. And there's also a chat and challenge feature where you can play alongside friends. So join us, dress listeners, in putting on your detective hats and escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Cass, as you know, we are going to be expanding our fashion history travel offerings this year. Mm -hmm. So you better bet that I'm going to be brushing up on my language skills with Rosetta Stone. With more than 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and so many more, that world out there is practically at the tip of your tongue. And that's right, dress listeners. For more than 30 years, Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning. There are no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which is incredible. You learn by immersion, and their programs are available to use on your desktop or as an app. And let's not forget that there is an amazing built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation, so you learn the proper accent from the very start. For a limited time, dress listeners, you can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com forward slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com forward slash today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back, dress listeners. Okay, I know you've all been waiting with bated breath. What is my multi-stepped conversation starter today? I'm, I'm part of this podcast, and I'm waiting with bated breath. I don't even know. So all of my recommendations segue into one another. I mean, it basically started with this article, and then it just kind of spiraled from there. And this is, I mean, April makes fun of me all the time. This is why I often write two-part episodes. Sometimes they turn into four-part episodes. <laughs> It just it just kept going. So I'm wondering, April, if you've seen the latest issue of W Magazine. I've seen it on the shelf, but I haven't like flipped through it. No. So the article I am recommending you start with reading, dress listeners, is Tilda Swinton channels her ancestors in a John Singer Sargent-inspired fashion fantasy. And this is, of course, her latest creative collaboration with Tim Walker, photographer Tim Walker. And it involves her and her two sons as they explore and reimagine their family history. So Fun. if you haven't looked this up, April, check it out because it's so cool. I love pretty much everything that she does. Like, so... <laughs> Oh, yes. I'm definitely going to check this out. Tell us more. Okay. 
So it's styled by Sarah Moonves, uh, written with a written story by Olivia Lang, creative partner Sandy Powell, who is, of course, the multi-Oscar award winning costume designer. Mm -hmm. And it's set against this idyllic Scottish background. And for our listeners who don't know, Swinton and Tim Walker have actually collaborated for the past 12 years. And one of my all-time favorite fashion spreads and that just constantly reminds me about why I love fashion, and that is the fantasy element, the magic element of it, is this 2013 Surrealist shoot that they they did together. And Tim Walker is fascinating in his own right. He got to start assisting Richard Avedon, um, but he just is really known for like these fashion dreamscapes, right? He really transports mm-hmm. his subjects and then, of course, the viewer who is viewing these photographs into another world. And I think the thing that I like about his work so much is that there's always like a narrative storytelling aspect to yes. it, right? So it's obviously visual, but his work in particular usually reads like as a narrative to me whenever I see his editorial. Right, right. So and fashion that's is the part first of that. thing. Yeah. No, yeah. that's a great That's the first thing that I think of when I think of his work. Yeah. yeah. And this this recent photo collaboration is no exception. It's an intensely personal project in which Tilda and her twin sons, who I think are in their mid twenties, grapple with and embody their ancestors. And their family history includes people like Tilda's great-grandmother, who is a mezzo-soprano, a society hostess, Hmm. and her name's Elsie Swinton. And she apparently hosted a salon in London with the composer Gabrielle Faré. She was painted by the likes of John Singer Sargent, who apparently painted and drew her. And Swinton encountered these Singer Sargent drawings of her great-grandmother daily when she grew up. I guess they were in the family living room behind the TV. So she talks about growing up in 1970s Scotland. And she credits these illustrations of her aunt with inspiring her creativity and her curiosity. She tells W Magazine that she was my North Star, which I just love. She says the self-possession she represented, the glamour of her independence just lit me up and anchored me down. And as the article, this W Magazine article tells us, the power of this particular North Star never dimmed. And Elsie is a presiding spirit for Swinton's latest collaboration for W Magazine. So um, as the article continues, it's, it's at this country house in Scotland. And it says, they use the walled gardens as a magically sleepy backdrop for imaginary scenes that riff on Swinton's family history. In the greenhouses and vegetable beds, they created a gallery of figures who could have stepped straight from a sergeant painting trailing stoles their stockings gleaming so that kind of gives you an idea of what to expect when you look this up and it talks about how they manifest it her and her sons manifest their long dead ancestors quote sprawling amid a summary litter of discarded books and parasols the last grasp of the 19th century trapped by the camera's fish eye gaze, Swinton resurfaces in the guise of a heavily rouged dowager, brandishing a freshly dug beetroot and peering beadily through a beekeeper veil. Xavier, meanwhile, dons his great great grandfather's heraldic uniform as Lord oh. Leon, King of Arms. <laughs> <laughs> What a clever concept for a shoot, Yeah, right? Yeah, it's so cool. And in the shoot, Swinton embodies both male and female members. And something that the author of this article reminds us is part of her gifts as an actor, as I'm sure you know, April, is her, quote, uncanny ability to shift age and gender. Call it the Orlando trick, birthed while she was playing Virginia Woolf's gender-fluid hero heroine and refined ever since. 
This segues into my next topic, which is a recommendation of what to watch. Have you seen this movie, April? Orlando? Yeah. Yes, I have. And I think that I saw it kind of right when it first came out, which was years ago at this point, probably like 20 years ago, maybe more. When did it come out? It came out in 1992. Okay. Okay. I definitely saw it probably like in the late 90s. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, it's a 30 year old film, Mm -hmm. but I highly recommend our listeners watch it, especially for the costumes. So it's a film that's loosely based on Virginia Woolf's 1928 novel. It's written and directed by Sally Potter. And it's this epic 400 year journey that begins in the Elizabethan era in 1603 Mm -hmm. at the deathbed of Queen Elizabeth the First, who grants a young nobleman, Orlando, who's played by Tilda Swinton, land, a castle, fortune, but only if he promises to not grow old. And she tells him, do not fade, do not wither, do not grow old. And he doesn't, mm-hmm. right? He's like immortalized. And as the description tells us, after a disastrous affair with Russian princess Sasha, Orlando looks for solace in the arts before being appointed ambassador to Constantinople in 1700, uh, where war is raging. And one morning, Orlando is shocked to wake up as a woman and returns home, struggling as a female to retain her property as the centuries roll by. Yes, yes. So Orlando is basically like this immortal character, and we get to see their their life like over the course of several centuries change. Um, and it's a fascinating movie. It's a little bit perplexing i would say at certain points yes for sure definitely a little bit (laughs) surreal but very much worth the watch highly recommend it's one of those ones especially for the costume yeah especially it's one of those ones that like once you see it you're gonna it's gonna keep popping back up in your mind for years to come (laughs) which is why i went off on this tangent because i'm like if our listeners have not seen this movie they have to check it out and it has costume design by sandy powell who collaborated with this recent Tim Walker and Tilda Swinton's shoot for W Magazine because she uses some of the costumes from the film in the shoot. Oh, wow. So it's kind of like this full circle moment um, in terms of, of that reference as well. And it's just, it's so cool in so many ways, the film and this this shoot 30 years later. So I really love Tilda Swinton. I mean, she's so thoughtful with the role she chooses. She always does these really art art magical surrealist films and that includes a movie that you actually recommended to me that I recently just watched which is 3000 years of longing. Oh, it's so good. At that <laughs> one was last I, I think it came out last year. That movie was the one that touched me the most last year. It's magical. It's almost like a fairy tale come true kind of type vibe. Um, It's very touching. It's a little bit sad. Maybe not sad. Maybe like melancholy, I would describe it. Sad. It's like tragic, but beautiful. And it stars her and Idris Elba. And Idris Elba plays a djinn or a genie in a bottle, basically, Mm -hmm. who offers her, and she's in the modern world, three wishes in exchange for his freedom. And then it kind of goes back in history to show his life and like what how what got him into the bottle in the first place. Mm-hmm. And it's streaming on Amazon Prime yeah. if anybody wants to watch it. And it's a little bit of a love story too. So I won't give too much away on that front, but <laughs> it was definitely, I think it was my favorite movie that I saw in 2023 or 2022 when it came out. So yeah, yeah. it was fantastic. And then just to conclude my homage to Tilda Swinton, (laughs) I would be remiss not to recommend a book. 
And that is the Impossible Wardrobe, which is a lavish three book set that presents the three performance pieces that Tilda Swinton and curator, fashion fashion history performance artist, Olivier Sayard, who's the director of the Laya Foundation, collaborated on. And I think we've mentioned mm-hmm. these on the show before. I don't know if we've mentioned the books, but we've definitely mentioned the performances. Yeah, and they actually did one recently, in either last year or the year before. But they basically have collaborated for years on these fashion history performance art pieces. And the book essentially documents these groundbreaking performance pieces. And there were three of them. So as the book blurb tells us, in The Impossible Wardrobe from 2012, Swinton walks down a runway with a selection of historically and culturally significant garments from the past 200 years. In Eternity Dress from 2013, a garment is tailor-made in front of a live audience. And in the third performance in the series, Cloakroom 2014, Swinton explains the special relationship between an item of clothing and its owner. And I think these are all using, at the time Olivier was director of the Palais Galliera, so I think it's all using pieces of those collections um, in this really new, inventive, incredibly beautiful way. So... Those are my Tilda Swinton trio of recommendations. Uh, Check them out if you know Tilda Swinton is and maybe if you don't or have not appreciated her within a fashion history context, here is your entry point. Have fun. (laughs) Well, I have a little Tilda Swinton fun fact to tag on. So her role as a fashion muse and even kind of like her role within fashion history actually dates all the way back to her early 20s because in the night early 1980s she was a muse to Issey Miyake oh wow and she modeled for him and um, we have some very very rare publications that have her modeling um, for him um, again like in the very early 80s and she was maybe in her very early 20s at the time and there's a little there's like a little blurb about her in this publication that accompanies it talking about how um, she considers herself an avant-garde actor and she's not interested in playing traditional roles um, and this is her her <laughs> stating this in her early 20s and we're like cut to now cut to now we're like well she stuck by her guns this entire time so yeah so Tilda was an Issey Miyake model in the early 80s she'll come on and talk to us i mean she loves fashion history <laughs> clearly she is a fashion her- history creator so maybe i'll i'll try to push that a little bit and see how far i can get <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 for sure and olivier which we keep saying that we need to have on the show as well well do you have anything else for us this week cass I don't. Okay. Well, I think that does it for us today, dress listeners. May you consider where the little nuggets of fashion history reside in your closet next time you get dressed. Remember, we do love hearing from you. So if you would like to drop us a line, you can do so by emailing us at hello at dressedhistory.com. If you'd like to send us a DM, you can do so on Instagram at dressed underscore podcast, which is, of course, where we post images and reels accompanying our episodes. And if you want to take the time to rate and review us, um, give us some little tidbits to talk about, like fashion footnotes, please do so at your listening platform of choice. More dress coming your way on Tuesday. Dress the History of Fashion is a production of Dressed Media.